Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Every reporter and everyone in media we've met is on Twitter, and they're on it a lot. Right. They are the Twitter super Twitter users. is the sports gambling for poli- for, uh, of, for of journalists. For me, yes. <laughs> and if you're on Twitter. You're gambling in likes, people. You're gambling in retweets. On Twitter, in order to get good at it, you have to just have takes. It's just takes. And takes don't have room for nuance because it's a short piece. So they're just like, what about that? What about that? And you shouldn't do this. You should do this. Right. It's that over and over and over. And it, it drives us to this like black or white situation. And I just feel like we see it now in the mainstream media that's out of that's off of social media. You see it in the Times, you see it in the Post, you see it on TV, right? So much of mainstream media coverage is like get a load of this person mm-hmm. and let's look down on them or shame right. them. Can you believe that? Or cast them as immoral or right. problematic. Right. I think I just summarized what like 60% of media coverage. Yeah. They have to be, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And Joe has given millions of Americans another outlet for that. And million, I mean, others, other content creators have followed suit with Joe because they know there's this massive hole in the market. This week on Forward, the reaction to last week's conversation on boys and men, online sports gambling, the Joe Rogan Spotify controversy, fully robotic surgery, this and more on Forward. And we are back this week on Forward. Apparently people responded to that uh last episode about men and boys boys and men boys to men (laughs) american boys and men struggling and failing i think that tweet by the way i'm going to tell the story all right so check it out podcast episode comes out on thursday and then i'm like oh i should just tweet something about this episode and so i tweet american men now comprise 40.5 percent of college students which is by the way a shocking statistic if you think about it for a second um (laughs) and, and uh you know, this is something that's going underreported, under-discussed. Yeah. And then I sensed that that tweet was going to get a lot of attention. But right now it's up to 5 million plus impressions, 52,000 likes, like thousands of replies. Um, mostly positive, it seemed. Oh, yeah. This is one of the best. Okay, just for context for everybody as we dive into this because we have to talk about it. 
we do a bunch of episodes where we have a famous person on or someone with a big following. So in Matt, like Sagar and Jetty or Jack Dorsey or even Marianne Williamson recently had more, especially on YouTube, like more, let's call it impressions or people viewing it. But in terms of engagement and people reaching out to us as human beings, overwhelmingly our most positive episode in that sense. You know what I'm saying? We got, I mean, the inbox flooded my comp comments, DMs to me. Everybody is apparently craving for people to talk about this, which Man. is shocking us because we knew no one was talking about it. Well, you know, what's interesting is like I was hitting this topic very hard on the presidential mm -hmm. and my book, The War on Normal People, was replete with facts and figures on the decline of American men. Yeah, three chapters on it, man. Yeah. At least. And, uh, and so I'm of the type that, and this is maybe a failing of mine, is that I think, okay, like I've hit a message for a particular period of time and then it's like, well, everyone must have heard it. <laughs> and then we go on to the next thing. Um, but then it turns out that the, that this particular message, I think you could hit over and over again and it would be new or controversial to some. Uh, I'm glad that the feedback from our audience has generally been positive, but I do think that it runs against the grain of this dominant media culture that frames men and boys as problematic or, you know, toxic. Uh, yeah. And um, uh, I think that that's not productive. Uh, you know, if you have a, an enormous segment, roughly half the population failing by the numbers, uh, it should be of concern to everyone. And one of the points that you were making is that if you want women to thrive and succeed and be well treated, you would want guys to not be falling apart. Yeah. Um, we did get some Twitter hate, but it's it's and we'll talk about this probably later in the episode, too, when we talk about Spotify and Rogan and what's going on there. But um, is the folks that seem to hate on it like the hate I got on Twitter? I try not to look at all of it. I actually don't look at a lot. But the, the, the things I saw that were negative tended to be from people that clearly didn't watch the episode or listen to the episode, you know, and I think that's a general thing where we we've built this like hyper reactionary like. And then you get this comment like, oh, of course, two men say if you want to help women, you got to focus on men. Ha ha. And that's like easy fodder to just kind of click like or which if you like are in that lane. Right. You know, back when I was a high school debater, uh, there was this thing called uh, ad hominem, which is just attack the speaker. Ooh. Um, and that uh, is considered a bad argument. Um, but now it's the most common argument uh, on Twitter and other places, which is like. Hey, you know, I'm going to state an argument. Well, fuck you. You're an asshole. Yeah, you're a shithead, right? <laughs> it's like, it's like, yes. like, like the yes. That, uh, that, that's like the the main line of uh, argumentation now. And then that there is like this obsession, essentially, with finding whatever uh, moral flaws in someone's past, so that I can then attack anything they do as like, oh well, you know, you said this thing ten years ago. Like, and and by the way, th this was considered. Um, not out of bounds in debate, but as something that you would lose points for. So that, tell me about ad hominem. So that's if you're you're debating whether or not immigration, how to solve for immigration, I don't know, a political issue, right? And then someone starts saying, Andrew, last time you were up there, you were arguing for something morally against this, so screw you. Like, how does this? No, how's ad hominem is just attacking the speaker. Okay. So it would be like you're personally going to benefit from 
the policy that you're advocating oh, okay. or you're just of low character and low integrity mm. and we shouldn't be listening to anything you say. Mm. Um, so th this is considered a weak form of argumentation because it's like, well, you're not actually addressing whatever the heck I'm saying. You're just trying right. to undermine me. But uh, it's the most common thing uh, in American life today. Yes. Is that – and one of the things that I had to start to accept and you accepted earlier – was that there is no separating the message from the messenger in American life today. Correct. Now, I, and I believed that the message would itself be uh, strong or powerful, but it turns out that people need a messenger to attach it to, and then it ends up inflecting the message with all sorts of meaning. Here's, here's a good question. Do you think Republicans, I'm just go back to maybe what Jonathan Haidt writes about in terms of the-, the Well, it, it's quotes. one reason why if you have a book like Woke Racism, could only be written, written by a black dude, like John John McWhorter. Mm. Yep. You know, if like because anyone who was not- to, Yeah, the messenger had to be like, hey guys, I'm black. So and, I can uh, say this. And a professor, and by the way, you know, the, like the, this stuff is um, not productive or cogent or coherent even. Is there something inherently identifiable on the right or left that, or let's call it the right here that helps- Republicans separate the message from the messenger better than folks on the left? That's a good question. I hadn't really thought. Uh, so one of the issues is that the uh, obsession with identity is stronger on the left. Right. Um, one of the things I believe has happened is that the the folks on the right and conservatives are like, well, if you just want to make everything about race, then maybe we should make everything about race. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we're white and there are a lot of us. And, you know, like, let, let's just like head that direction, which uh, it is one of the traps. By the way, it may be the trap. Uh, I mean, my, my conversation with Stephen Marsh is about this topic as the, the main catalyst for violence and civil strife in, in the United States. And it, it's something that I, I have always tried to uh, combat, mm. which is that if you segment us all into groups, then um, it becomes like a zero-sum clash and being like, well, here's my group. And this is what we're going to take. And then you're going to get this and you're going to get this. And, and by the way, one of the reasons why I always thought this was a massive loser is that there is one group that is uh, bigger, richer, more powerful. <laughs> like it draws everything than everything else. And so you'd be like, well, if we just make this a zero-sum competition, then by the way, like that group probably wins. Yeah. Um, and so like maybe we should avoid that mm -hmm. uh, as like your pr predominant – uh, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, argument or criteria for um, policy. So I'm this. I I never heard of ad hominem. That's what it's called. Yeah, ad hominem before, but it it um it speaks to so many things that have happened. So Trump was a, probably the best example. Where don't get me wrong, there are plenty of things wrong with um some of some of Donald's arguments. But a lot of the attacks on him were character focused or he's an asshole. I thought you were going to say something else, which or is anytime know. someone said anything negative about Trump, he would be like, you're failing. You're a loser. Oh, sure. Uh, like, like Agreed. He, he actually. He so, so one yeah. of the things that he specialized in was like, don't believe anything these people are saying because they're full of shit. Yes. And a lot of Here's their hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of Americans were eager to hear that. Be like, oh, yeah, because those people are. Right. But then they it. would ignore. I guess what I was saying is there's all these. The left would have hammered Trump on his character flaws, but the message actually resonated with a lot of folks where, I mean, build the wall had some racial undertones, but there was a illegal immigration problem that we weren't doing. We weren't even really addressing on the left or on the right very well. There was 
the drain the swamp argument. America's losing. We need to start winning again. Right. These are things that Americans have felt, particularly in certain parts of the country. And they ignored the character flaws, you know, and they got they like either didn't believe they existed or a lot of people held their nose. Right. And voted for the Donald. Um, I just didn't know if that uh, you almost had both sides of that with 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 Donald Trump. Right. Where he would attack people's character and then everybody only attack his character and ignore his message. And his message was strong. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, How do we get off on this? We <laughs> we were talking about. Um, we're talking boys about to men. Uh, boys to men and the fact yeah. that we get attacked because we're men talking about it. Yeah. And I would say um, there are some women talking about it. Yes. They've been the only folks talking about it. And then the other folks. Who are talk the about women are the- you think of when you think about women talking about this? I think of Liz Plank. Caitlin, Liz Pl- Can- Can- Caitlin Flanagan. Yep. Katie Herzog a bit. Right. I think I don't listen to her enough. Um and um, Christine Somers. There's a lot of the IDW types, um, intellectual dark web, for those of you who don't. I guess this, this all used to be a thing. Uh, it, it strikes me as entirely rational for women to look up and be like, hey, if men had their shit together, things would probably be better for everyone. Yeah, specifically <laughs> women. Yes. Like, like that doesn't seem like a radical thought or statement. Mm-hmm. But it's not a lot. Um, and then the, there's a lot of folks that talk about it on the right. And those are men, conservative, usually Christian men talking about it on the right. And I grew up knowing who those for folks were. So I mean, David Ramsey is more about a finance. He's more of a he's like the finance whiz. But he incorporates a lot of like manhood and responsibility and biblical undertones or overtones in many ways, the way he talks um, in his messaging. Uh you could even argue a lot of conservative talk radio folks in general, like Rush Limbaugh and and Ben Shapiro, even at times, like they they kind of talk about they're very pro-family, they're very pro-traditional role of man, right? Um, but I, I agree it's it's not talked about enough and it's not talked about at all from the left, which is where I think we're getting the generally positive responses. I don't know if you agree with that. You know, it's been like a far right thing to talk about. Well, so the 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 left is primarily concerned with the power differential. Yeah. And so the the left's framing of just about any social issue will be who's the marginalized weaker group, right? Who is the strong group, and then the mission has to be for the strong group to uh relinquish some of their power and privilege to the the weaker group. So in this calculation, it certainly seems like uh, men are the privileged group by just about any number. And so you think, well, it can't be about the men. It has to be about uh, women or girls or, um, you know, non-binary or right. wh- whoever the group is. And th- that overlooks the truth that it turns out that a lot of men are failing and struggling by the numbers for a multitude of reasons. A lot of boys are struggling and failing. Uh, and th- there is this... Uh, truth too that if you look at any of the uh, catastrophic social problems or criminal uh, behaviors or domestic terrorism or, or the rest of it, it's almost always boys or men. Mm-hmm. Uh, 94% of school shooters are boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sure a similar percentage of uh, domestic terrorists and, and the rest of it. So mm-hmm. uh, if you have catastrophic male failure, it results in a lot of very, very dark, tragic, terrible things happening. And it and it bleeds together. When I was talking to Stephen about this, it's like um, you have mental illness, 
you have criminal behavior and then you have political violence. Mm -hmm. um, and they're all kind of weaving together um, in this spectrum of male failure. Right. I think that's why I think that's why we're passionate about this, passionate about this because and, it's and core. It, and it does drive me up a wall that for whatever reason, left leaning media uh, just seems to kind of miss this stuff. Or when they talk about men failing, there's zero empathy. There's zero like, hey, some, some, something should be done about this. It's just like, oh, what the fuck is wrong with these guys right. for collapsing, disintegrating, et cetera. Even right. though if you look at it, it's like, well, we've gotten rid of um, the family unit. We've gotten rid of uh, mm -hmm. like a path to, um, to higher education for a lot mm -hmm. of them. We've gotten rid of a sense of purpose or community or fulfillment. We've gotten rid of a uh, secure middle class livelihood. We've gotten rid of like a lot of stuff. And so then when you see the collapse, um, to me, that should be a, a massive call to action um, but the empathy on the left is reserved for people who are on what is perceived to be the losing end of the power differential. Mm -hmm. I think it's a massive miss for the Democrats and it has been hurting them more and more over time because you know who cares about this issue the most? Mothers, suburban white mothers, frankly. Um, now, it's not top of their game or top of their list at all. But when you talk to them about do they admit this is a problem? Yes. Are they concerned? Any mother of a boy understands this, I think, innately. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Why let big tech companies see everything you're doing online when you can just use ExpressVPN and then be footloose and fancy free plus you get access to exclusive content by beaming in to another market. What do I mean? Let's say you have Netflix and you missed the show Snowpiercer. By the way, I loved that movie. And you want to watch the TV series, not available in the US on Netflix, but if you beam into the UK or someplace else, then there's Snowpiercer on your Netflix. See how it works? This is a way you can get more from what you're already spending on streamers, plus totally anonymous online, plus you can do it by pushing one button anywhere you are. It's why I love ExpressVPN. It's like a set it and forget it. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com yang. Don't forget to use my link at expressvpn.com yang to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So we are going to make uh, this something of a recurring segment on the podcast. We're going to talk about an issue that relates to men, maturation, boys. And so this time we're going to do something that's going to be considered fun-ish, but I think is going to be highly relevant to a lot of men. Mm -hmm. And that is betting on sports online. And this is fitting because I lost a good amount of money this weekend in sports. Gambling. So this is top of mind for me and Zach because New York just legalized – uh, online sports betting. I will share my own experience with this. And so for a little bit of background, I would commonly make jokes about Asians and gambling. Um, <laughs> when I was running for president, I'd be like, well, you know, I like to gamble because I'm Asian. And that got some laughs. And then people were like, oh, is that a stereotype? But then if you go to a casino, there are a lot of Asians there. And if you, you there, there are buses from any Asian yep. community to casinos, like Asians just like uh, Asians like gambling, right? Asians like numbers, chance. It's baked into the culture. 
Is it baked? Um, it's baked. Is it? Help me understand that. I thought this is fun. Like, why sure. is there's an Asian stereotype that you have rich Asians love to gamble? Rich Asians do love to gamble. I mean, rich assholes <laughs> love to gamble too. Like, so maybe it's just a rich people stereotype. Oh, um, but but there there is something baked into Asian culture around numerology. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example, and that there's a Western equivalent of this. Um, if you have a stock ticker number that has lucky numbers in it, um, there's a systematic bias for those stocks to trade a little bit higher. Interesting. Uh, because we just really like the number eight, for example. Okay. Uh, you know, like wow. the number eight is very lucky in um, in Asian culture. Now, the West has the equivalent that if you have a stock ticker that you can pronounce, then that actually gives your stock like, a, you know, whatever. It trades 5% higher um, than if it's just, you know, an acronym that no one okay. could ever say. So if you had like the Cheesecake Factory stock was cake. Um, crashes it. I, I think it gets like a 5% premium based on. That makes sense. <laughs> on our company, which we'll talk about someday, um, when a company, we got to make sure we get a ticker that, that sounds says that, cool yeah. when you say it loud. Yeah, like, apparently it's worth a 5% premium. But yeah. in Asian culture, having a bunch of eights in your stock ticker um, is worth like, a, you know, 5 to 8% premium. Okay. So Asians like numbers. Yep. <laughs> Asians like chance. Yeah. Match made in heaven. And so there's a cultural proclivity towards. Uh, games of chance and, okay. uh, and gambling. And I just looked this up. I was looking this up, and I haven't verified this, but it's, I think we can verify this piece, is that the majority of gamblers, majority of people who bet are men um, by a lot. Sports betting, it's somewhere like half of sports fans are women, but almost three quarters, I'm giving or take, and we can find maybe the exact numbers, about three quarters of, of people who gamble are men. Um, and then problem gamblers, about twice as many men. Um, are addicted as as women. So if you live in New York, you've been inundated with promos for sports books. Oh my gosh! It's FanDuel, DraftKings, Caesar, Caesars, MGM, MGM. So each of them. So which offers did you take, and how much free money did they give you? I did Caesars. It gave me five hundred free bucks, and I did FanDuel, which was kind of fake. They gave you a thousand dollars free, but you had to. It was only it would match your bet. And then if you want it, you could only use it in their app. It wasn't, it wasn't actually real. dollars. It, it was, like a, it was a credit because I did the Correct. same thing. Yeah. I joined FanDuel and got the $1,000 right. uh, back. But I was stop. like, I don't really get it. But Caesars actually like matched a couple of your first bets and you could actually cash out on it. I'm going, uh, to, share, like I'm going to share um, what I did with my FanDuel $1,000 credit. Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. So I, I bet on the UFC heavyweight title fight, uh, Francis Ngannou against Cyril uh, Ghosn. People love that, yeah. Um, so I, you know, bet – I because I th said, well, they're guaranteeing a loss of 1,000, so I'm going to bet 1,000 on this fight. Mm. Um, and I got to say that I was so nervous because my, <laughs> my guy was losing – um, and then uh, Ngano pulled it out uh, by wrestling, and so I, I won a thousand, and obviously felt pretty good because it's great. like you know yeah. it's, a, it's a good feeling. So, uh, so you win a thousand. Um, now, when I was running for president, I said, "Look, we should legalize um, online poker and gambling," mm -hmm. and and I believed that because. There was a way to do it anyway. There were illicit ways. Uh, yeah. Like you'd rather it be regulated. And prohibition doesn't really work. There's a few things that it works on, and that's we could maybe have a whole episode on that. But yeah. Yeah. But now that I'm experiencing it, oh my gosh, is this stuff addictive? 
massively. Where, you don't you forget it's real money. Yeah. So then the next thing I bet on was <laughs> well, now you're hot. Was there? You're on the was, yeah. So now I'd like you know a thousand three bucks. <laughs> and I'd won. Um, so then I I bet on a parlay, an NBA game, mm-hmm. where Those are best. it was <laughs> it was a, a bunch of things happening. In a Knicks Bucks game, yeah. a parlay for those of you who don't gamble because I'm learning a lot of this is when you bet on lots of things to happen and they all have to hit. So I can bet on the Bills win, and I bet on five other teams to win too, or I can do like mid-game stuff where it's like so and so would have so many points or so many touchdowns, so many yards, and they all have to hit. Or you, you know, four or five bets hit and one misses, you lose everything. Sorry. So then I I watched the NBA game, the Knicks Bucks game, and anytime someone scored a bucket got a rebound that was involved in my parlay mm-hmm. i'd be like yeah, yeah and then i'd it, be yeah. like pass it to my guy so he can yes it like, changes the way you watch which is fun uh it, it changed the way i watched it it was more entertaining yes um it made me a shittier dad for two hours because yep. i was just like had the game on it and, and you know my sons that? were a little bit like why the hell do you care so much about what's going on and by the way i i really shouldn't have cared because i bet whatever like 50 bucks uh, or or whatnot. So but the like return it, it on really a parlay is high, Im- right? Immaterial. Like you could have won another thousand bucks probably. I, the- it was, so this particular thing was five to one. Okay. And the crazy thing is I won. You won. <laughs> you were on a heater, man. I'm, I'm on this a was heater. this weekend? Uh, it was like last week whenever this wow, shit was going man. down. Great. Um, so, so now that I've had this direct experience with it, I have to say that I understand how people can get addicted. Mm-hmm. It, it changes your relationship with sports like you had I had this stupid stupid sense that I was being productive watching this game because you can change your bets in the middle so you felt like you're you're, earning you're doing (laughs) you're like doing something productive wow and the way a lot of guys are programmed is that if you can make some money then it feels smart feels like Mm -hmm. achievement feels practical feels like work wow I mean uh, yeah you're right yeah so um, so, uh, now I know myself well enough to know that I'm going to go through this arc and then get tired of it and then think like, this is a bad use of my time, um, and move on. Yeah. But I can easily see how people fall down this rabbit hole and get addicted, lose lots of money. Uh, and these sites, it is wild where they must've done the math where they give you a thousand free gambling bucks and they know that they're going to get it back. Oh, they know. The house always wins. That's the thing about gambling, right? Those businesses don't exist. They make a ton of money and they don't, they wouldn't exist if they weren't winning all the time. I would say, so you and I do not have fundamentally addictive personalities, but I know we both know every guy has friends who who are usually like, I'm a guy, I used to do these snooze little tobacco pouches as like a, uh, on the campaign too. And I was getting through, I was like a little buzz. Um, it's like, it's like they're pansy. They're like tiny. You're like, these are not strong tobacco. Um, and they are addictive. Like I felt being addicted. I felt craving them. Um, but one day I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I just quit and up and quit. And it was like rough for two days and that's that. And most folks I know, my brother included, like he, he loves them. He can't stop using them, right? Um, and sports betting, those types of things. Like I I lost some money. I was like, I'm, not, I'm if I do keep betting 20 bucks a game, like there's a lot of games. Like I'm gonna, like it's not gonna work out well for me. Um, but But we wanted to talk about this because Men in particular struggle with this and were attracted to this. Do you think it used to be illegal because of what we're talking about, I think, where people were, were concerned about men blowing their money? And now we're like, I think men are smart enough. Um, I don't think what do we think? got any smarter. I mean, you have to look at the numbers. One of the things that happens anytime you interact with gambling is there's always an ad like, got a gambling problem? Yes. They, Call this the, number. The laws, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the laws. 
So despite my affection for gambling personally, uh, like I know enough about it to know that it's generally a net negative for uh, the community. Mm -hmm. um, it's a bit of a black hole. It tends to absorb economic vitality. So what, what happens if you open a casino is you say, look, I'm going to create, you know, 300, 500 jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's the argument. Um, but uh, what most don't realize is that generally speaking, the people in the surrounding area uh, spend money at the casino and then the bulk of the money uh, goes to the owners and the owners tend not to live where the casino mm -hmm. is. <laughs> and so the casino is generally a bit of a net negative um, an on the surrounding uh, yeah. an economic side. But, and they're also live destroyed because they're dudes who uh, can't handle it and then right. like lose all their savings, et cetera. And if you go to a casino and you looked around, um, you would probably find at least a few people where you're like, you know, I don't think they should be gambling as much as they're gambling. It's a sad, depressed it's gambler. Like, Everybody knows that guy. Yeah, like, like when you go to the casino, you, you, you see that stuff. Now, so what, what's when, when I was running for mayor of New York City, I advocated for a casino in New York, despite mm -hmm. everything I just said, because in New York's case, there's a ton of tourists who come in and it would be actually be the other way. We'd it, get money from people outside the city. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Agreed. But but typically, if you had a, a casino, it's not going to be that much of a boon mm -hmm. um, to the surrounding area. One of the reasons why, again, I've gotten on board with a, a, a general legalization of this stuff is that when I was traveling the country over the last number of years, I was stunned at how many casinos there were. Like like America has essentially legalized gambling where um, I'll give you some uh, examples. Downtown Cleveland, casino. Downtown New Orleans, casino. Uh, Detroit. Detroit. Three yeah. casinos. Now, Philadelphia proper, no, but then if you leave town, like, uh, right you there, know, right? Western PA, casinos. You drive around California, uh, you'll, you'll pass mm -hmm. casinos. So, like, over time, I started to realize, like, wait a minute. We've really essentially made this legal um, in a, a ton of vicinities around the country. Um, and so if you're already at that point, then you should try and do it intelligently and do it in a way that's regulated uh, and the rest of it. Now that I've directly interacted with uh, online sports betting, because I wasn't able to before because it wasn't legal, right. I, I will confess too, occasionally I would still bet on sporting events. You find a bookie or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I call, you got to have a guy. So what happened was it was legal in Jersey. Yeah, I had a Jersey guy. <laughs> so, if you have, so if you have a Jersey friend, they can just do it 100% legal and you just right. be like, hey, you know, can you place a bet for me? And then you settle up. Right. But wow, is this going to uh, consume a ton of time, energy, resources for tons of guys. And on one side, it is fun and social because you put a bet on something. Like I, I had a friend who had like a couple thousand dollars in the game yesterday. And so the Niners Rams game. Right. And so then when I was watching the game, like I was betting hard for him. Like I was like, please let Re him win rooting. just because yeah, yeah. rooting because you know your friend has a couple thousand bucks on it. There's just gonna be so much energy and some people are gonna lose more than they should. Some people are going to end up with it's going to ruin lives. Yeah. You can sense that. We should maybe see if we can get an expert on this or, or talk to some folks we were looking to have on. But um, do you think... And, and this is coming from a guy who, by the way, was like essentially for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, being against it makes it... Um, causes other problems, right? Which is... It's, it's, it's not about the morals or whether or not it's good for humans. It's about the policies and whether that's, yeah. that implementation is realistic and practical. So look, very rich people gambling, probably a good thing, right? Because it let them blow their money and 
um, someone, ideally you can tax it, right? And throw it back in the community economy. To me, if you have men who are jobless or on disability or don't feel like they have a good economic path forward, and so three to one, five to one, 20 to one odds in some of these bets they're making on their paycheck, for example, um, seems pretty good in some ways. It's like a lot of folks, many ways why they play the lottery um, because I know the odds are terrible, but it feels like, um, frankly, hope or upside. Do you think that has anything to do with it? I'm sure it does. Uh, that, that has a lot to do with it for sure. Yeah. I think I think guys want to feel like there is some chance of um, making it big, relatively speaking, mm -hmm. and just introducing that possibility. If you were to tell a guy, hey, like you're going to be within these bounds and uh, there's not going to be any possibility that you break through like this relatively low ceiling, that would be a, a huge bummer to most any guy. Right. It's like you, you like to think that maybe I can hit it big, um, whether that's in your career, whether that's by getting on a hot streak when you go to a casino. By the adventure, yeah. Yeah, like, they're, they're, like they're, there's a little bit of a craving for um, volatility and upside. Mm -hmm. I agree. Gambling. Sports gives you some of that, like feeling a part of something. Um, but this gambling does too, but it has the, the dark consequences of being, for many, their food money or their their bills money. And, uh, oh, so I was watching NBA games on TNT. Uh, and it was sponsored by FanDuel. Yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. And then it had mainstream now. And then it had the odds up. There, were, I think there was a parlay yep. on TNT being like, hey, you can do a parlay right now. ESPN has shows dedicated to the prop bets, to the bets. Yeah. Um, it's real. It's mainstream. And it's – let's get the policy piece of this. If you're a government, you know it's bad for people, but it's worse if you try and regulate it in many ways, right, where we're, we got all this dark money going through. We're not taxing it. You've got men. It would move it to the Cayman Islands, more or less, and you'd right. have like some weird outfits. Like, how would you? So, as a government, is the key to like let these types of things be legal because regulating them becomes a nightmare, but also beef up your social safety net and your resources for men. Like, what's the solution here if it is legal? I I would like there to be. Some people aren't going to dislike this, but mm -hmm. like I, I think if you had. Uh, enough data and, and a good AI algorithm, you could actually see who the hell is going to spiral and when they're spiraling, uh, like ba based upon like gambling patterns and the rest of it. Mm. Um, so saying like, hey, do you have a gambling problem? It's like if I have a gambling problem, I'm probably going to lose my shirt before I call somebody. And you've been you spent your whole all these days and weeks and months and maybe years leading up to that gambling problem. You've been ignoring the. The, so, hey, got a gambling problem? You're used to fast-forwarding that ad, right? So, so, so there'd be at least a couple of inputs you could have. Mm -hmm. um, one would be, let's say I, I start on FanDuel, which I did. Um, uh, th there could be like, a, hey, like how much money do you want to lose or can you afford to lose, mm -hmm. uh, you know, before the fact? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, you, I give a range, be like, look, I don't want to lose more than whatever. X thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah X thousand dollars. Um, and then, uh, and then if I start losing more than X thousand dollars and FanDuel will be like, Hey, uh, it's time like, to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little, it's a little a bit like, pause, like a bartender yeah. trying to, you know, like stop serving you drinks that they know you're like drunk and out of control. Um, so one would be a self-stated like comfort level. And then the other would be like, I can pretty much tell from your gambling behavior, 
whether you're losing your shit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you bet X thousand dollars on like Weber State versus X yeah, like you're you're, you're kind of going <laughs> you're nowhere near off the, the rails here. Um, I, I mean, the tough thing is that if FanDuel were to cut you off, you'd just hop to somewhere else, Caesars right. and the rest of it. Well, I wonder. Um, and look, I I agree with the the free country. Spend your money how you want. Like that's you know what people theoretically should be able to do. But I do think we regulate investment markets based on this, right? You can't invest, and part of them are a little problematic, especially as crypto is democratizing some of this, and Robinhood, as we've talked about in this pod before. But there's some like, hey, if you are not worth X amount of dollars, you can't invest in that. Um, or you are required to read this disclosure. You're required to go through a broker-dealer. You're, you know, it's very, and like, I don't love all of these rules, but they do prevent shady money or immature money or people that should not be doing things, they prevent them from doing them. They do work in that way, generally speaking. A lot of the regulations in our securities markets are on the companies themselves and the nature of the securities. Um, What do you you mean by that? Like in order to be listed, you have to jump through like a gajillion hoops. Yep. So that's another thing too. You know, um, like if you're betting on stocks, like it's not a penny stock, generally speaking, right? If it's listed on the New York Stock Exchange, right? You know that. But also if you wanted to do hedge funds or options or various alternative investments. You have to have $250,000 in net worth or yeah. a minimum usually, or a credit investor, a credit investor regulations, things like that. Um, and and we'll, we'll change subjects a bit, but this is what I want to talk about when we do this section. I think you do too, is that there's a masculine urge to participate in this. There's a mat, there's a innate biological human need for men to get involved in this type of stuff. Some of them we can explain, some of them we, almost can't but if men don't understand yeah how to navigate this you end up in with problems so what would your recommendation be to folks navigating this new world of like uh this is like the golden age of sports gambling right it's just <laughs> i i will share with you my personal approach yeah and then we'll leave it at that okay is uh i i've said look i'm going to put a certain amount of money onto this. And in my case, it's really not much money. I think it's like, you know, $2,000. Okay. And then I'm going to gamble it and do whatever the hell I want. Uh, but I'm not going to put more money on this app mm-hmm. um, for, you know, X period of time. Mm-hmm. And so set a rule like that for yourself. And then if you see yourself breaking that rule, then really give yourself like, like a very, it. very long look in the mirror. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it could be even go to someone close to you and say, hey, look, like FYI, I'm, you know, it's like, uh, you know, seem obsessed about this thing. Like, let me know. Like, in my case, I could go to Evelyn and be like, hey, if I, like, right. I, like go down this board scaling rabbit hole, like, um, like, let me know that, uh, hey, I, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted you to tell me if I was going overboard. <laughs> um, so, so, that, but I, you know, in my case, like, I, I'm confident that, uh, like, I'm not going to put any more money on the app than, right. I, like, I've already kind of set in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so just set a rule for yourself, and then. Take it very, very seriously if, right. if you find yourself breaking that rule. I agree with that. What I, How I did it was um, I have two. I did two of the apps. I have Caesars and FanDuel. Um, and I said, I'm going to put $200 in each, and I consider it gone. That's how I approach Vegas, too. When I go to, if I ever go to Vegas, I'm you like, spent okay, it, yeah. I have a, you know, it's 1000 bucks I've saved up, and it's gone. You know, If I walk out of there with $2,000, great. But I'm assuming I'm going to walk out with zero. And it's your entertainment dollars. That's how I like gambling is fun, right? I think that's okay to admit that. And so, um, 
Well, it's not fun. It's, it's like drinking. It's like any vice, right? Like it, in moderation, awesome. Too much, you lose your shit, dude. Um, and that's part of, I think what we're talking about being a man. It's like you could do it, but you won't, right? That's um, a big part. Like, you, yeah, you could spend all your money on that and risk it all, but you won't because you're the right kind of man you want to be or whatever it is. So um, that's our gambling piece. Let's even get a gambling expert on here too, if there's such a thing. I'm sure there are, right? Um, if anyone wants to comment off in the YouTube or uh, Twitter, give us give us some folks. We'll reach out. Um, but that's our weekly segment on this. I want to call it Bros to Men, unless you have a better name. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's probably plenty of better names. Yeah, I would. Um, we'll work on the title. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy in that I knew if you're going to spend eight hours doing something, you should probably invest in doing it right. That's why I love Helix Sleep, which will send a mattress to your door that's made just for you. You take the Helix Sleep quiz and you get matched with a mattress based upon whether you want it to be soft, medium, firm, how you sleep, other variables, and then voila, it gets sent to your door and you can try it for up to 100 nights and send it back. They have a 10 plus year warranty because they believe in their product so much. I do too, my kids do too. They actually seek out this mattress even though it was designed not for them. <laughs> That's how good this product is. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple chiropractors and doctors because they think it'll make you healthier. Don't take my word for it. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang and use code helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Man. The media, mainstream media loves talking about Joe Rogan, and we need to talk about what's been going on. Yeah, Joe Rogan, for whatever reason, has become the boogeyman to mainstream media. And like the punching bag. They just love to, they just love putting his name in the headline, that's for sure. Um, do you want to summarize what's happened? I think most people have a general idea. The main new events have been that a number of musicians, primarily Neil Young, have come out and said, hey, Spotify... I'm going to yank my music right. from your service if you don't yank Joe Rogan. Yank Joe Rogan. And Joe had two, I wrote all these names down. So Joe had two doctors on his podcast that are the main ones they're concerned about. Dr. Peter McCullough, who was the vice chief of internal medicine at Baylor University, which is a big deal, and a professor at Texas A&M. And he's, according to Joe and a few other sources, he's the most published cardiologist in his field. Um, and then Robert Malone, who was uh, had a number of patents that helped create um, the mRNA vaccines we use. So now, these folks are accomplished, but have been known to say things that are against the grain and flagged as misinformation when it comes to the COVID vaccination. So Neil Young, Joni Mitchell are like, I'm pulling my music off. So I have questions for you on this. The press is going nuts. Uh, Nuts. It's covered every outlet all the time. LA Times is like, there's certain outlets that are like, here are new places to stream your music because you hate Joe Rogan. Um, 
And I will give credit before we dive in. Joe has also had left-leaning doctors on his podcast. And I think a lot of people don't, or complaining, maybe don't ever listen to Joe Rogan, but he's had Sanjay Gupta on. He has had Michael Osterholm, um, who was on Biden's COVID advisory board. Like he has had other folks on the other side of this ish- issue, to be fair. Um, so there's a bunch of questions here, Andrew. Um, let's start with the first one we kind of just landed on. Why are they so obsessed with Joe? Is it because they're dying? I think it's because Joe is the most prominent. Yeah. No, I mean, his audience dwarfs mainstream media is by most measures. And so I, I think there's like a kind of rivalry um, aspect to it. Um, that Joe's success in a way calls into question uh, the reason for being for certain mainstream media outlets. And he dwarfs them, right? Like Jim Acosta, the new primetime CNN show, gets a couple hundred, 200 to 400,000 viewers a night. Joe Rogan, we're talking about. 11 million just on audio um, and more on YouTube. Um, There's two pieces of this. I want to talk about the misinformation, which I think is getting warped. And then I think what will be fun is also talk about the business piece of this too and like how capitalism is fueling. Yeah. The misinformation piece, let's start there. Um, So Joe is getting hammered for, and that's why they're pulling out, like you're giving out misinformation, you're killing people is what they're saying directly. Um, But misinformation seems to be a moving target. depending where we are, in the sense that if you had said, and this was what Joe said in his response, he's like, if you had said vaccinated people can't get COVID, or sorry, if you um, if you are vaccinated, you can still spread COVID. Or if you said cloth masks don't work, those are two facts we have the opposite information on now. But if you had said that at some point in time over the past two years, you would have been kicked off many social media platforms. So what are your thoughts on how we're defining misinformation? And I don't mean we like the media, but like the actual regulation, like thought on um, how this is used, how it's defined, especially during a time of crisis. It's tough because Joe Rogan uh, is not the mainstream media and like he doesn't have some editorial board type process. He's just a guy who's had conversations with people that he wanted to talk to and then just became wildly popular to a point now where his audience is so huge that you can look at it and say, okay, whatever goes out on his platform actually is going to be important and move the needle. And so if he popularizes certain beliefs that are incorrect, um, that there could be, you know, some very consequences. Yeah, yeah. Neg- negative consequences. Yeah. Um, he launched our campaign. Your presidential campaign, essentially. Yes. Right. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Uh, so for Joe, he has on doctors of different points of view, and then he has conversations with them. Right. Um, I, like, I, I personally think that Spotify's current approach, which is, look, we're just going to put an advisory in front of uh, conversations that cover this topic, um, seems like the right balance. Uh, like, I, I think it would be... Um, it would be a real sea change for Joe to be like enforcing particular um, messages or let's say someone said something that he thought was wrong. And if you are a mainstream journalist and that happens, then you kind of jump in and like beat the person down. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's and to be fair, they have an editor in their ear or a producer in their ear being like, that's wrong. We just fact check hammered him. Um, yeah. You know, so it's not just, a, it's just as a one man show when you do that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I think that Joe's not going to to do that, you know, one, because he doesn't have someone in his ear. Um, right. uh, number two is that it's not really his style to bring someone onto a podcast and then try and 
mold the message in a particular way. Mm. So I think that, you know, like it, th- there's a tension. Um, it, it does call into question what is a misinformation because right. the CDC's guidance on this stuff has been a moving target. Right. Uh, and and I was struck by the fact that there are various artists that are saying essentially, hey, kick someone else off um, or or else like like that that struck me as frankly not a great precedent um where if you disagree with something someone else is saying on a platform right and then say well you know uh, uh, to their credit it's like do they themselves take a hit of some kind if they remove themselves from spotify yeah. yes right um so that so that's good um you know they're they're making a determination right they're making their own the determination but that there is like a i'm glad that the CEO of Spotify hasn't been like, oh yeah, let me like take Joe down and and do this because there is this really nasty trend around trying to deplatform <laughs> where it's like, oh, this person, right. and and like you said, a lot of the people that are trying to deplatform Joe Rogan have never spent any time actually listening to Joe Rogan. The premise of the show is like two people having a long conversation, right? And you get to flush all your ideas out, and Joe gets to push back, and we get to decide. What's true or not. And many of it is the pursuit of truth, right? A lot of it is, which is how you get there, is discuss, discussing and debating and arguing. Um, and, I mean, trying to censor that kind of defeats the whole purpose, right? Um, do you think capitalism fuels this? Because to me, looking at this, like, you're Spotify. Like, never are you going to. You invested $100 million plus into Joe. And his audience is much, much bigger than whoever else He's bigger than, about. I mean, unless it's like, I don't know. Is it? It's, it's, there's like probably 10, 20 artists that are bigger than Joe Rogan, and Joe probably has better engagement number because they're listening for longer and more frequently. Well, th- this is the weird thing too: is that I'm ninety percent confident that Joe's audience is smaller because he's on Spotify. Yes, for sure, it's definitely dropped. And, and so, but it's still big, right? Well, it, yeah. no, well, the, well, this is my point: oh. is that if you succeed in deplatforming him from Spotify. <laughs> It actually will likely grow his audience yes. and exposure because you don't need to necessarily be a Spotify subscriber to listen Correct. to him. Um, so that part struck me as kind of like odd. Yes. Well, that's the irony of the whole thing. This whole thing is giving more PR to Joe and he probably has more listeners from this. Keep going. Um, uh, which is in your zeal to deplatform someone. Um, like what are you trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's look, I think this person's point of view should never see the light of day this will not accomplish that right um it's going to make his stuff more accessible rather than less accessible the only rationale i can think of is that you think that he's getting institutional legitimacy from being on spotify Mm. that he would not if he was just on youtube Mm -hmm. for example right I'm struggling a little bit with that argument because right. it's not like Spotify is like the arbiter of, <laughs> of, you know, whether something is, you know, popular or acceptable. So, so it's just a weird one where on that one, it's like, look, if, if you um, if you want this point of view to be suppressed, this isn't the way to achieve it. I don't think it's um, let me ask this. Like, it seems like so much of the world is going in this black or white situation like nuance yeah and and that's what troubles me about it uh, uh, on the side of it's like hey i disagree with that person so we should quote unquote kick them off they're evil and they're wrong and they're bad yeah 
And the reality is most people have some bad and hopefully more good, right? Like like people are, are complicated. Well, and, well right? and, and here's like the, the kind of weird thing. It's like, so first let me say, do I believe in the vaccines? Yes. Do yes. I think that people should get uh, uh, get boosted? Yes. But if you think about what the quote unquote establishment is saying, um, it's very much what uh, I just said, you know, like to the nth degree. There are some excesses, in my opinion, like should kids be wearing masks in school? Mm. The, the data is very fuzzy on, on that rationale. Like I, I'm leaning no because one of the frustrations uh, I think is like they they act like kids wearing masks has no negative impact on the kids or their learning and by the way it almost certainly does yeah so you know like how much do you want to weigh that mm -hmm. what is you the health benefit it, though, right? yeah <laughs> like, like there, there's this so to the extent that there is like um an establishment point of view it's covid countermeasures to the extreme mm -hmm. um and then the anti-establishment point of view would be to like wait a minute does that make sense wait a minute, like, are, are there legitimate reasons to, like, be doubting some of right. this this guidance? Um, and then that's the stuff that's getting shouted down. And what's interesting to me is that traditionally artists have been, like, this anti-establishment crew, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know. and and But in, in this case, you could make an argument that anyone who's questioning this stuff is, like, the anti-establishment. Yeah. Well, it's tough to watch because – the mainstream media is so quick to point out the flaws of the the Joe Rogans of the world or the the alternative medias. But the reality is they only exist because mainstream media is dropping the ball. They've eliminated nuance. So let me ask you this. I think maybe this answer is really obvious, but I don't think I've ever asked you. Every reporter and everyone in media we've met is on Twitter, and they're on it a lot, right? They are the Twitter super. Twitter users. is the sports gambling for uh, for uh, of, for of journalists. For me, yes. <laughs> and if you're on Twitter, you're gambling in likes, people. You're gambling in retweets on Twitter. In order to get good at it, you have to just have takes. It's just takes, and takes don't have room for nuance because it's a short piece. So they're just like. But about that? What about that? And you shouldn't do this. You should do this, right? It's that over and over and over. And it, be, it drives us to this like black or white situation. And I just feel like we see it now in the mainstream media that's out of, that's off of social media. You see it in the Times, you see it in the Post, you see it on TV, right? So much of mainstream media coverage is like, get a load of this person mm -hmm. and let's look down on them or shame right. them. Can you believe that? Or cast them as immoral or right. problematic. Right. I think I just summarized, what, like 60% of media coverage? Yeah, have to really, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and Joe has given millions of Americans another outlet for that. And million, I mean, others, other content creators have followed suit with Joe because they know there's this massive hole in the market. But my, my question is, like, capitalism seems to be pro-misinformation. It's pro-any information as long as someone's willing to click it. And I'm curious your thoughts on well, the market uh, Capitalism is pro the splintering of the American consciousness and the splintering of the media landscape. Hmm. That's where cap capitalism is going to lead us, especially in this era. Because So if you rewind 30 years or whatnot, mm -hmm. and let's say I had some bad shit ideas, um, like how would I get attention to them? Quite difficult. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, like I, I, I could like write a letter to the editor that they would ignore. Mm -hmm. I could, um, no, like put up some bulletin board uh, leaflets. I could stand in the town square with a sandwich board. Uh, you know, it's like it, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's tricky for me to gather together an audience for my insanity. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't need much. You know, I just need a camera and a bit of a personality and then I can put something out. And so whatever point of view you put out there there's going to be a market demand for an alternative to it mm -hmm. because people, especially in an era, oh, by the way, of collapsing institutional trust where it's like, what are they telling me? Mm -hmm. Fuck that shit. Like that can't be right. Like, <laughs> Oh, this person, this person's here to tell me why they're full of shit. Right. Um, so there's, there's going to be this massive demand for uh, like a different unvarnished point of view. Unfortunately, a lot of that stuff is going to be in opposition to the stuff um, that, that came before, which is, is which is something that's interesting about like a dynamic that even you and I share. So like I just listed a bunch of facts about the decline of American men. Right. Um, and that somehow gets cast as ideological, even though all that stuff. It's just numbers. It's just numbers. Right. You can look it up and be like this and that. But one of the reasons why it became uh, really popular and interesting is because people sense that it's in opposition to the mainstream media narrative, which is not talking about the collapse of American men because that's off of their chosen direction. Like that, their chosen direction is spotlight uh, various marginalized groups. Or men are the problem because they are in positions of power and therefore you must... Yeah, there's a zero sum. It's like, oh, in order for other people to succeed, other people have to fail. So, so one of the reasons why it took off is because it's in opposition to the conventional media right. narrative correct so that if you have this conventional narrative and then you're going to have this massive demand for what's left unsaid mm -hmm. um, and then there's going to be a whole set of people that fill it attract an audience this may be why people are so eager to uh, try to prevent any of this crew from getting a degree of institutional credibility because they can look at it and say well sure your audience may be an enormous Joe Rogan but you don't have the the legitimacy of this MSNBC contributor because they're on cable right. TV and we would never let you on. Right. What I don't understand is these institutions are dying, right, by the numbers, right? Um, CNN, MSNBC, even Fox. But they're still around and they're still driving our culture. Is capitalism going to crush them or are they still kind of buoyed by other forms of American life to keep them in the game? You know, like does Joe I, Rogan become CNN? Like what? Uh, I was what thinking about here? why these cable news channels have such power and currency. Yeah, and a lot of it is that they're they're very very lucrative. They're yeah. very very profitable, mm -hmm. uh, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars a year. So if you get knighted by one of them, uh, they pay you. Uh, and there are so many media figures who are looking at it, being like, "Wait a minute! Like if I end up on air." with one of these networks, they'll give me six figures for a part-time job. And that's one of the sweetest gigs. Uh, so so all of the various folks in this universe want to be knighted yes. by uh, the, the cable networks. There's also a lot of vanity. And I will say yeah. the production values are very, very high mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, they make they make me look good, they make anyone look good where like you go on there and they like, oh, uh, yeah. they like, Make you up and put you on the studio and the rest of it. And, like, they build you, you up the Republican like, candidates. For, uh, Fox News is very in, intentional about, you know, you get more airtime in there. Your polls start rising. You can contend for presidency or whatever it is. And their audience is the sweet spot of primary they electorate vote. voters. They vote. 
because they're in their 50s and 60s. And mm-hmm. if you look at who's voting in these primaries, it's those folks. Yep. I now, think they're older than that, but yeah. The average viewer of CNN is 59. The average Fox oh, viewer right. is uh, 65. Part of it, too, is that the production values are higher so that if you even see an online clip of them, like it just it seems good. It, yeah, it just seems more legit. The people mm-hmm. have makeup on. The studios are nice. Uh, it, it's one reason why Crystal and Sager, they, they talked to me about their set on the hill, which is that if you had a video clip of that and it got sent to someone's parents, they would look at it and think it was legitimate because it looked like it might have been on, on cable. Correct. And that was a thing when we were running for president in 2020, legitimization was a big thing, right? Like getting and the, they control that for sure. Um, and it's because there's a lot of money and influence and frankly, production value behind it. But anyway, I feel like we're just at the beginning of like, I, I don't see an end in sight for more, more and more um, Joe Rogan polarization, if you will. And Spotify might be the vehicles. So my prediction is something else going to happen on Joe's podcast that when it's sound clipped and when it's a short clip, it's going to be super objectionable and it'll be a big artist that's like, I'm pulling off Spotify. And maybe Spotify has a decision to make. Maybe it's a no brainer, but it then politicizes. I'm we're, I'm worried about politicizing our artists and our music, you know, over something that I don't think is that controversial, which is long conversations with pretty much anybody. He'll take anybody who's interesting. I don't know if you think that's ever going to happen or if it's just going to be noise. I'm not sure that there's going to be an issue that's quite as freighted and fraught as COVID. Mm. You know, like I have a hard time imagining what else you could do that would be as objectionable as your oh, just wait, man. There'll be a new boog- boogeyman in a couple of years. I'm sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like it's less. Yeah, if we're more and more like irrational, then it w- will take less to do it. But oh, that that yeah, that'll happen. That's probably true. Oy vey, man. Um, good for Spotify for pulling out. I th- um, for holding strong, I guess. And I think Joe handled it well. I thought his like he's like I had no hard feelings to Neil Young or or Joni Mitchell. Like I'm still a fan. He told a story in his release about how he like went to a Neil Young concert as a kid. Um so buckle up. I guess if we're cool enough that'll happen to us, you know what I'm saying? Well, didn't we just talk about how American boys and men are failing and that's a problem? That's true. We get canceled. Canceled. <laughs> we'll get canceled and make more news, I guess. <laughs> You want to close with this robot? Yes. So the last thing is that there was a fully robotic laparoscopic surgery uh, that had better results than if done by a human surgeon. Now, it was on animals, on pigs. Yeah. um, Because they didn't want to test this stuff out on humans. But the results were very, very positive. And this is a big deal. And this is something I've been waiting for in a particular way. Hmm. Now, uh, I have friends who are surgeons. And they are very, very afraid of doing anything that might hurt their fingers and hands. So they don't ski. They don't play basketball. They don't do things because that their livelihood is in having these fine motor movements. Mm. Uh, one of them, uh, you know, that I went to college with used to play video games and be like, I'm training because he's like <laughs> working on his motor skills. So you have these highly educated humans uh, who are, are then these fine-tuned manual technicians Mm -hmm. for hundreds of thousands, in some cases millions of dollars a year. Their careers actually end on the earlier side because after you get to a certain age, you can't do this anymore. Yeah. 
you know, you, you don't want a 60 year old surgeon freaking yeah. operating on you. you know? it's, your, like, it's your eyes too. It's coordination. It's, it's your balance. It's a whole bunch of things, right? Yeah. So you can imagine I was a little bit like athletes. So they have longer careers than that, obviously. But, you know, like by, by the time they're in their 50s, like they, they're just talking uh, to others about how to do it, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then showing them some things. But, you know, you don't want them doing it now. So imagine very, very finely tuned motor work. Sometimes you would res- would involve movements that might even be almost imperceptible to, to the human eye. Mm-hmm. This stuff is tailor made for automation. Yes. You know, and and so the fact that now they're getting to a point where you could theoretically replace human surgeons on these uh, on these operations is a potential game changer and so it should be something that humanity welcomes. Right. Like anyone who thinks like, oh, humans should be doing surgery. You've got to be out of your fucking mind because when it comes <laughs> down to it, right. this is just like some very, very fine motor stuff. Like uh, imagine if, if you had, uh, you know, an, an analogous uh, task that needed to be done. Let's say it was like, you know, putting like, you know, like tiny components um, into an airplane. Mm-hmm. Like, who would you rather do that? Like uh, a robot that's designed for it? I'm guessing yes. Yeah. Uh, or would you want to have like hundreds of different humans <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that you then roll out? You know, and, you know, not and sur- surgeons are human beings at the end of the day. Like, can they have bad days? Sure. Of course. You know, now you hope that they, you know, like they don't. <laughs> they don't, and you hope that they don't decide not to conduct surgery that day. Right. Um, but does that happen? For sure. Yeah. So, like, I, I've been thinking about this for a while. That there is for a, a, a while now. There's been um, robot-assisted surgery, mm-hmm. where you could have a human surgeon manipulating like a robot hand. Yeah. But this time, the human wasn't involved. It's just robots doing their thing. Right. This one, to me, because we talk about. Automation a lot. And you know what we also talk about? We talk about the management of the automation crisis and the the, the chaos that will ensue after something, you know, whether it's automation. Which goes back to boys and men. Right. Yeah. Um, this one I feel will be um, managed better than most, I think. Because you have all these hospitals with their boards and all the regulations around new medicines and new procedures, right? So I imagine, you, and you've kind of talked about this before, like you can't do the robot surgery without a major surgeon or accredited surgeon in the room, like overseeing it, right? But, and I, I, my hope is that it, you don't end up with a whole bunch of unemployed surgeons, although- You know another much. reason why this is a pure good? Mm. There's a massive shortage of surgeons. Is it really? Yeah, if you, if you go around like to a lot of parts of the country, it's a freaking uh, healthcare desert. Oh, So yeah. you'd have to go a long way to like find an yeah. appropriate surgeon. You go to other parts of the world, Oh yeah, freaking totally. I used to work with this nonprofit. I'm gonna, I think it's called Help Me See, but they had essentially it wasn't automated, but it was generally automated, like automated assisting folks to do cataract surgery because you had all these people who were blind all over the world that just needed a simple surgery uh, to drain the eye or whatever, and they have like a like a robot to train someone on it, um, and it's super easy. And now you've got literally hundreds of thousands of people they're helping see all over the world, right? Just from the cost of one machine. Um, and like a little bit of training. And that's what I think this this should go. So that's good. I didn't realize how, geez, I didn't realize how much of a... We have a massive shortage of a whole range of doctors, primarily because the supply of doctors has been kept artificially low by the medical lobby. Right. So that applies primarily to primary care physicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in like if you were a medical student and you had a choice to specialize for more money or 
uh, be a primary care physician, you would specialize specialize as soon as possible. Yeah. So you you wind up with a shortage there. You wind up with a shortage on all sorts of fields. Um, But you you certainly have a shortage of qualified surgeons in a lot of areas of the country. I worked in healthcare software for four years in my 20s. And I joked all the time that healthcare is where good ideas go to die. It is where good ideas go to die. Really? Oh, yeah. Healthcare is some of like the um, least efficient, uh, mismanaged stuff in in any industry. It's 18% of American GDP now. By mm-hmm. the way, outcomes have not been getting any better. Yeah. We're not getting any kind of real bang for our buck. All that's happening is that the companies in this industry are just getting uh, richer and money. richer and fatter and fatter. Yeah. I have friends who are investment managers who are begging for any reason to short uh, this industry because they're like, it's just profiteering and gouging mm-hmm. at the highest levels. It's just, you know, it's because our government's just fucking terrible at, uh, at getting things under control. And so you just have these companies that are just like more and more, uh, you know, the, maybe the worst, uh, story I heard when I was running for president, a guy named Dean Kamen, fucking yeah. superstar, genius. genius inventor, invents portable dialysis. It would improve people's standard of living. You don't have to go to a, to a dialysis center and get strapped in if you're, diabetic Mm -hmm. um uh, and uh, so what happens it gets lobbied as being bad for you because they because right now these inpatient dialysis centers are such a bonanza for in terms of money making Mm -hmm. they make like billions of dollars a year to cart people in strap them in and so if you have a portable dialysis machine you could like live a normal life have it at home and then uh, the insurance companies who are making a ton of money or like the dialysis company like managed to be like no no portable dialysis is terrible for you and so dean came like what the f (laughs) (laughs) so so he has to like try try to wade through that stuff like our, our system is just so screwed up in terms of the, like the purpose is not to make you stronger and healthier the purpose is just to profiteer for these companies so that is the con that is the healthcare universe now uh i'm with you and not being concerned about the negative impact of uh of these automations in, in large part because there's a massive need but the other thing is that the medical lobby will just freaking get in there and, and they'll manage it. And yeah. they'll, 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 they'll be up. like, <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll be there and be like, they'll hey, the doctors. Yeah. they'll be, you know, there needs to be a surgeon chilling out and watching the, the robot do its thing. I mean, like that, that, yeah. there'll, there'll be some set of things. O- over time, though, you do see medical students uh, making different choices then in terms of the how they way. specialize. Yeah. Um, so one discipline, for example, that medical students are trying to avoid radiology. Because they're mm-hmm. like, hey, looking at these films is not going to be a winner. Yep. Because AI can 100% do that. Yep. You know what this does? It makes the Elizabeth Holmes situation so much more heart wrenching, if you will. Because I, I I think Quest Diagnostics has is a racket. Like I, I don't know. And if you want to get blood work done in New York City, your only option is essentially Quest Diagnostics, and it can be it's thousands of dollars for certain activities. You have to go to them. You're on their timeline. They don't give you back. They, what they spit out is ridiculous gibberish that you have to have interpreted when they've done millions of them. They know whether you're positive or not for X, Y, Z you're testing for. And so Elizabeth Holmes was coming in and say, hey, we can theoretically make this simpler, which she was fundamentally right on. Her product was a, bun- a load of crack, or like that sort of thing. And now anyone, no one wants to touch that industry with a 20-foot pole, right? Because um, of how terrible that went it would be nice if someone could go in there and, and build like a genuine theranos that worked yes that's what made it so where i was like this idea is theoretically amazing even half of what she was able to do if you couldn't do it on a prick but if you could do it in an hour at walgreens right um even if the machine was 
three times, five times bigger and still worked. I don't know. So that you, you know, if you watch the Elizabeth Holmes documentary, I don't know if you look yeah. very close. I make a cameo. That's right. You make a little uh, you're wearing a tie, if I recall. Yeah, I'm in a White House photo with Elizabeth Holmes. Is hanging your only out with time Obama. wearing a tie? Not only time wearing a tie. Uh, two times were when I got invited to the White House, both times. Yeah, wear a tie. And one time I showed up without a tie and the staffer gave me his, which I appreciated. Thank yeah. you, Ronnie Cho. Thank you, Ronnie Cho, for, uh, for giving me the tie off your neck. <laughs> Did Evelyn come both times or just one? Just once. Just one. You went solo the other time? Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't able to bring someone. So. Oh, you got a plus one the second I, time. Yeah, but I, both times I, with I Obama. I became cooler. Yeah. Did Obama remember you from the first time? Okay. I'm assuming no. I, I met him people. I met him 3 times uh, and then after I ran for president I had a call with him so now I know who I am. But so it was either the second or third time like he was going to shake my hand and then someone whispered in his ear like right as I got there be like hey this is Andrew Yang and he was a da 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 and then he was like oh I know I recognize Andrew Yang. So <laughs> like, did he recognize it without the dude simultaneously saying my name to him? I don't know. Yeah. But now he knows who I am, clearly. That's a hard Because, job. come on. I mean, you know. I, now he knows who you are. Yeah, because now I'm like the now UBI presidential yeah. candidate. Yeah, he, he knows. He knew all the people running, running this. You know. Yeah. I wonder if you are president for that, you know, when you're out of office for a certain amount of time, you would want to switch parties and you're never able to, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's you're really like Bush funny. watching the Republican Party being like, I don't think I line up with this. And Obama's like, what are the Democrats doing? I mean, he came out against wokeness. He talked a lot about people being outraged, like social media outrage. Well, part of the thing about wokeness that um, uh, is it's generational. Mm, yeah. And and so if you're past a certain age and you're like, I don't know about this, because like, you, yeah. you got uh, reared in a different activism environment mm, mm -hmm. no like i i'm 47 so i got reared uh in a different activism environment mm -hmm. than the the current uh obsession with a power differential right so yeah he's probably looking at this but i was just wondering like you know and you gotta think like clinton for hw bush you know the folk, like you're watching like generations of politicians and they're like i still have to be i'm still a face of the party so i still have to <laughs> like I see some of these old down. politicians show up and whatnot, and then yeah. he is treated like statesmen and the rest yeah, of yeah, it. they treat like royalty if or so, whatever it is. Yeah, like, it, it, to varying degrees. Yeah, um, I mean, but like, yeah, but but it's like the that's the, the thing. I, you know, I mean, it, it's fun. Uh, it's fun trying to avoid that destiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and I have the same problem. Where we're too interested in solving problems and doing things that to be stuck in a lane like that would be very, very challenging. Um, all right, man. Any closing thoughts? Well, let us know what you want on uh, next week's American Men segment. <laughs> <laughs> Titled TBD. <laughs> anyway, we love you guys. See you next week. 